0: Well it's terrific to be back with you uh from my extended leave uh with covid uh and uh very much looking forward to getting into the book of acts this morning and over this term uh Dave here did a great job last week preaching my sermon anyway <laughs> let's pray father what a privilege it is to sit under your word together as we delve into it today in plummet's depths we pray that you would set our hearts on fire on fire for you, for each other, and for your work in this world, Amen. Well, a few years ago, uh, I got roped in at the last minute to cooking on a camp. that Something had happened to the cooks, uh, and so Joe was called in to save the day. I'm not. sure It was a risk that everyone was taking, uh, and uh, I, I did be had a big one pot meals the whole week, uh, except for the last night, chicken and chips. Thought I'd save the easiest thing to last in this huge industrial kitchen with a, an array of six gas ovens and uh, I hadn't used them all week and uh, I didn't think turning ovens on was very difficult from my own personal experience at home. However, I turned the gas on and nothing happened. Uh, looking around for an igniter switch or something. Uh, my oven, uh, once upon a time, had one of those slider flint things in the back that you had to get in. There wasn't one of those. And so I went and asked what I had to do. They said, you've got a lighter. You've got to get a get a match. So I came back and lit the oven. I'd left the gas on for 15 minutes, though. This fireball comes, whoom, straight out of the thing, burns off my eyebrows. And... Uh, and the, uh, the, the, the fringe on my head, uh, it was a dramatic tongue of fire coming out onto me. Uh, well, in Acts chapter 2, we see a fire lit and tongues of fire, but it's not a gas fireball coming out from an oven, but a spiritual fire is lit as the Holy Spirit comes as a flame and sets the dry kindling of people's hearts ablaze with gratitude and love and passion for God and for each other. Last week as we launched into the book of Acts and we saw the incredible mission that Jesus left his people, left his disciples, his final words on earth, the blueprint for the church, the reason for our existence to be his witnesses. Where? Everywhere. Start here in Jerusalem and go to the ends of the earth. It's a huge mission, isn't it? And actually, in our own strength, it's impossible. But remember, Jesus also told them that he would send them power from on high. And he told them to wait for that power because one day soon, God would pour out his Holy Spirit onto them. He said they would be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Well, today we're going to work out what that means because there's a lot of confusion these days about the Holy Spirit and Particularly, this phrase, baptism of the Holy Spirit, is it something only a few special Christians have, or is it something that all Christians have? Is it anything to do with falling down in church, or uncontrollable laughter, or, or speaking God's personal, lang- private language? I say, no, it's none of those things. It's, it's so much better than all of that. Well, as pro- Jesus promised, today we see that day come and the incredible effect that it has it's dramatic it's powerful in fact it's the dawn of a new day as the holy spirit comes so dramatically like tongues of fire and from that moment the fire of the gospel starts to rage through the city of jerusalem and the church comes into existence and it's incredible stuff so let's get into it well the chapter begins here in an upper room. There's something like 120 of them gathered. We, we found that out last week. And it's only 10 days after they'd seen Jesus taken up to heaven in the clouds. And, and this day, 10 days later than that, isn't just any old day. It happens to be the day of Pentecost, uh, one of the most important feast days in Israel, it's from Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, it's called there in most Bibles the Feast of Weeks uh, or the Feast of the First Fruits. It was the day that Jews would bring the first fruits of their harvest to God at the temple in thankfulness. It was a harvest festival. That's that's all Pentecost is. That's what it means. The, the word itself means fifty. Uh, Pentecost 25, anyway, it's it's fifty. And it was called 50, the day of 50, because it commemorated the day that the law of God had been given through Moses to the people on Mount Sinai, including the Ten Commandments, which happened exactly 50 days after the Passover. Remember, we were looking at Exodus last year and the ten plagues. The last plague was the Passover plague. That was the night Israel had been saved and let go from their slavery. It was a miraculous release. They'd sacrificed lambs in their homes that night, obeying uh, God's command. They painted the blood on the doorposts, and the angel of death had passed over their houses and not killed their children. And that event left uh, countless numbers of Egyptians uh, dead and in mourning but it was the salvation of Israel. And exactly 50 days later, God constituted them as a nation and gave them the law at Mount Sinai. That's how long it took them to get to the mountain. But this particular Pentecost, instead of bringing them, bringing harvest gifts to God, God's going to give them the greatest personal gift, not another law coming from God like Mount Sinai, something far greater something ushering in a new age, a whole new way of relating to God. And the timing couldn't be sweeter because it was exactly 50 days after the true Passover lamb, Jesus, was sacrificed on the cross to save us from our sins, which happened at Passover that year. And what happens at this Passover is so dramatic. Well, let's, let's have a look at it again, verse Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent rushing wind came from, you imagine the sound of the violent rushing wind coming out of the sky. Um, it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and, and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the spirit enabled them i mean imagine being in a, r- a big room like this and all the doors suddenly fly open you know banging because of the violent winds flames appearing on everyone's head i mean if that happened this morning uh i don't know we do we all head for the exit well, i don't know what we do we panic uh ha- how would you feel if you're in that crowd S- scared that's what I'd be, I think. Uh, it'd be like that fireball coming out the oven. <laughs> What's going on? Freaked out. And the result of the Spirit coming is, it says, it's, they speak in different languages or tongues. What languages? Well, it's not meaningless sounds that don't make sense to the people speaking. We, we actually find out exactly what languages they speak as people from all over the city come rushing to find out what all the noise and the kerfuffle's about. And so verse 5 now, there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a great crowd came together and was confused because each of them heard them speaking in his own language. They uh, we were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of them can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those living in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya and So, I mean this is people from all the nations around the Mediterranean Sea. Visitors from Rome, uh, both Jews and converts, uh, Cretans uh, from the island nation in the middle of the Mediterranean, Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. They are all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? See, tongues in the Bible are human languages. They're just languages. Uh, In fact, we use the word tongues and languages interchangeably. And, And although it might not seem as impressive as being able to go into a spiritual trance and utter mysteries with your spirit, which is what some churches teach that tongues is, what's happening here is so much more important And so much more dramatic than that. Because it's nothing less than the undoing of God's curse after the Tower of Babel. You remember back in Genesis chapter 11, start of the Bible, the the people of the world had gathered together as one to make a name for themselves and build a tower up to the heavens that would even challenge God's throne in defiance of God. And God wasn't impressed. He came and he threw the thing down and he cursed humanity with different tongues, different languages, so that we couldn't unite again in such a great sin together. And so the languages of the world that we are broken into, including English, uh, Tamil, whatever it might happen to be, are there as a judgment of God on humanity to make it very difficult for people to communicate with each other. I mean, even... Australians find it very difficult to communicate with each other. English people have even greater difficulty understanding each other and they speak the same language from north to south, right? You hear a Yorkshireman speak and, right, unintelligible. But here is God's great gift of the Spirit comes, uh, there's a great reunification, not in rebellion against God but in salvation. Because the disciples are enabled to speak and the people hear the glorious message of God in their own languages. I mean, it's a supernatural, it's miraculous. They, they hadn't studied Cretan and uh, Arabic and all these other languages. They were just enabled miraculously to speak it. But here are the people united again, united by God. And it's utterly wonderful notice what the people say in verse 11 we hear them declaring the magnificent wonders of God in our own tongues what are they hearing the wonders of God that's what we are communicating when we share Jesus with others how great God is and what he's done and amazed and perplexed they asked what does this mean now there's confusion reigning some people are convinced that this just been a big booze up the night before, and everyone's talking gibberish because they're trashed and out of their minds. But Peter steps up to put them straight, uh, which which takes great guts. I mean, we find out later in the chapter there are thousands of people there. There's more than three thousand people gathered, right, to find out what's happened. But remember, Jesus has promised them what power when the Holy Spirit comes power to do what power to be his witnesses and straight away here they are being his witnesses bold daring speaking of god's wonder now that's a dramatic change for peter isn't it Uh, what's peter been like up until now if you go and read through the gospels and find out about peter he's only ever been the bumbling disciple uh, of Jesus who's only ever opened his mouth in the past to put the other foot in right he's he's been uh, the idiot who's challenged Jesus who's told Jesus off for being wrong that he doesn't know what he's talking about um he's transformed from a fisherman with little faith and no education to now the spokesperson and leader of this new movement made into a beacon of light as he explains what's really going on here And what a speech he gives. Peter's on fire as he gives what is perhaps the greatest sermon ever given. It's interpreting Old Testament prophecies with with the things that have just happened. And he's calling on people to come to Jesus. That's that's the guts of his sermon. Verse 14, Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. I'll even pour out my spirit on my servants in those days, both men and women, and they'll prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's he saying? Well, he's saying that this moment, this event, predicted way back in the Old Testament by Joel, who's a prophet of God who lived something like 700 years before Jesus, he was predicting the day when God would send his Holy Spirit. Not just on kings and prophets as he did in the Old Testament. No, he'd send the Spirit on all sorts of people. Young people, old men, women, Jews, Gentiles. In fact, anyone who'll call on the name of the Lord is going to receive the Spirit. had said when he comes, the spirit is going to enable them to know God and enable them to speak God's word to other people. That's what he means by prophecy. It's not so much about everyone's going to be able to make predictions about the future, although the the Old Testament prophets did that occasionally. It's really about speaking God's word to the people and to the situation pointing to jesus that's what the spirit of prophecy is according to the angel in revelation 19.9 the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of jesus it's pointing to jesus he says all of god's people are going to be doing it whoever they are wherever they are and somehow that is going to coincide said joel with the day of the lord god's judgment day and you think well where's that bit peter Where's God coming to judge in this whole event? Well, here's the twist. Because Peter is saying that that is in fact what has just happened 50 days ago at Passover. The day of the Lord has come. It's why he moves on in verse 22 to talk about Jesus. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible to be held by death. At one level, it's a huge slap in the face to the crowd who've gathered, isn't it? you arrested you tried you convicted and condemned god's king but actually you've got to know that that was god's plan for the dawn of life and actually that was predicted in the old testament too in fact a thousand bc for david says of him verse 25 i saw the lord ever before me because he is at my right hand i will not be shaken therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices moreover my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. And here's one of the great riddles of the Old Testament. Who on earth was David talking about? You remember Jesus raised that as a conundrum, a riddle with the Pharisees. Who was David talking about in Psalm 110? he seems to be talking about himself the lord said to me but peter knows that david wasn't speaking of himself as the guy who would one day shrug off death like a tatty old cloak verse 29 brothers and sisters i can confidently speak to you about the patriarch david he is both dead and buried he's not the fulfillment of his own words His tomb is with us to this day. You can go visit the grave. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades and his flesh did not experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God, and has received from the father the promised holy spirit he has poured out what you both see and hear for it was not david who it was not david who was ascended into heaven but he himself says the lord declared to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool therefore let all the house of israel know with certainty that god has made this jesus whom you crucified both lord and messiah you killed jesus but God raised him. He is now both king and judge, sitting on the throne, and he is in charge. Death could not defeat him. David was looking forward to this day. And that's what this giving of the Spirit today is all about. See, the Spirit comes and all of a sudden, God's people are speaking about Jesus. Jesus that's what the spirit does he points to jesus he convicts us of our need for jesus of our sin the spirit takes the gospel message of comfort and he he burns it into our hearts and minds that jesus saves by dying for us that he's conquered there's hope he brings us to kneel before jesus as our king and accept who he is and the Holy Spirit enables us then to speak boldly about Jesus. That is, and, and here's the key thing to know about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is completely Jesus-centric. He, he's sold out for Jesus. Uh, that's who he wants to bring attention to. His whole purpose, duty and joy is to bring all the attention to Jesus, to give all the glory to Jesus. And that's why he is the power behind the mission of God that Jesus promised to send. It's not in our power, is it, to uh, win people's hearts and minds to Jesus. We can argue the toss, we can you know, be eloquent, we can, you know, some of us bumble along, but it's not in our power to actually change someone's heart, isn't it? But the Spirit can and does through the gospel it's not within our power to stand up boldly for jesus and when we do it's the spirit who's at work in us to do that and you can see the spirit at work in what happens hearts are set ablaze verse 37 when they heard this they were pierced to the heart and said to peter and the rest of the apostles brothers what should we do peter replied repent And be baptised each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptised and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They went from a church of 120 to a church of 3,120 instantly. <laughs> uh, 3,000 hearts set ablaze. 3,000 new believers. 3,000 people brought from death to life. 3,000 people sharing in the Holy Spirit and the wonder of the gospel of salvation. 3,000 people because one man spoke driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with these 3,000 new believers, the the new age of the Spirit has begun, that effectively the church is born. And what a church they were. The end of the chapter shows us what a church is like that's truly on fire spiritually. Here's, Here's a church that's spiritually alive spiritually on fire and as we read it you might think well is that our church is that us and the key the key word i think in the whole paragraph describing this church is verse 42 the word devoted they were a devoted church they devoted themselves they gave constant attention to it it conveys the same kind of effort that you see in the person who wants to go to the olympic games the years of training, the hours of day each day practicing and weights and endurance and training and aerobics, things I've clearly not been doing. (laughs) Uh, Continual devotion to the task. That's what the church is like where the spirit is at work. Devotion of what though? Have a look, four things, all in verse 42. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. 3,000 brand new Christians, along with the 120 who were there before, all together giving their constant attention to understanding the message. Think about the poor 12 apostles. Not only had they had to you know, get in their swimmers and baptise 3,000 people in every pool and water hole in Jerusalem, but the late nights, the long conversation, the sore throats, talking to all these people who are devoted and want to just learn more and ask questions and But the point is being full of the spirit and wanting to know God's word go together. These brand new Christians were, well, they were hungry for God's word. (laughs) They couldn't get enough of it. And they knew the apostles spoke with God's authority. Where the spirit rules, God's people love God's word. They're devoted to teaching. They're wanting to know more. They're keen for the Bible. They were devoted, secondly, to, to fellowship. You hear the word fellowship and you might think of youth group games and activities. and Or maybe you think of, oh, we're going out for morning tea or tea and toast to have fellowship. It, uh, that's, it doesn't really capture it. The, the root idea of the of fellowship in the Bible is commonness. Uh, it comes from the Greek word koinonia. The, the New Testament is written in koine Greek, common Greek. It's the language that everyone spoke. They had everything in common is what's going on. And if you look up every occasion in the Bible of this word fellowship, koinonia, you'll find it always points to some kind of sharing together, uh, sharing something that you have, and most often it's money. And you can see that here, verse 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Uh, it's the same word, coiner. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to everyone as he had need. Fellowship in the early church meant giving, something we don't often to think today as a mark of the Spirit, but that's a mark of the Spirit, partnership. That's not to undermine playing ball rush or being friends with one another or having tea and toast, they're important things, but it's to say the church where the Spirit reigns is a church where People sacrifice their money, their time, their property uh, for the sake of each other. Pooling resources. Why? Because we want to grow each other and care for each other and fulfil God's mission for us together. Thirdly, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. It's not talking about communion. That's a later development that didn't it wasn't even there in the early church but look at verse 46 every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and they broke bread from house to house they ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts same phrase they broke bread in each other's houses they were they were eating together that's what it's talking about brothers and sisters in christ remade into a family and that too is a work of the holy spirit it's a supernatural thing when people eat together as brothers and sisters who aren't born of the same mother. (laughs) Uh, Australian statistics show the average Australian home has nine visitors a year. That might be nine more than visitors you've had this year, I don't know. And seven of the visitors that the average Australian household has a year are family, so you have to have them in, (laughs) like it or not, but see what this is saying? One of the key marks of a spirit-filled church is that Christians eat with each other. They spend time at each other's places. They hang around. When you eat food with someone, a re- like a meal, it's, it's a mark of brotherhood and love. F- food in the Bible is the lubricant of real, meaningful relationships. Uh, thank you, all those who do tea and toast for us Uh, once a month it's a it's a it's a really great service and vital it's why the best conversations at night church happen at mcdonald's afterwards rather than here it's why the dinners for eight are going to be so good next week make sure you sign up next time and finally they devoted themselves to something else to what to prayer together calling on god to honor his own name asking him to bring his kingdom in presenting to him their concerns asking him to forgive and to help them live for him and praying together as a church like we did last monday night in our pizza prayer and praise night like like we'll do later in our gathering today a lot of churches don't have prayer in the church service anymore it's hopeless I've visited several, you just, you know, they might have the, you know, be with us today at the start, uh, but they don't have a prayer time talking about common concerns or God's mission. Here is what a spirit-filled church that's on fire for God is like. When the spirit came and people turned to Christ, there was a complete reorientation of relationships, relating to the word of God, relating to each other and caring for each other's needs including financial ones relating to each other as they ate together as brothers and sisters and finally relating back up to god in prayer and if you notice in verse 43 they as they did that everyone was filled with awe reverence for god because of what was happening or verse 46 they did these things with joyful and sincere hearts as they got on with being god's people devoting themselves to things Things started to happen. Verse 47, every day the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. And so as they got on with being this new group on fire for Jesus because of the spirit at work, they grew dramatically. People heard the gospel and were saved and joined in with them. Wow. And so I guess in conclusion, we've got to ask, are... We devoted to those things. Are you devoted to those things? As we look to the future together this year and make our 15 year plans and ask what kind of church are we going to be together? What are we trying to build together? Whatever the answer may be in terms of facilities or ages or activities or liturgical style or uh, musical taste. God's great plans for us as a church are to be a people devoted to these things here. Are they central? Are they going to be? That's what happens when the Spirit comes. This is what baptism of the Spirit looks like. The witnesses got witnessing. People came alive as they understood the gospel. They were saved. And an incredible church was built upward and outward. Their hearts on fire father we thank you for the power that you give to all your people in the holy spirit what a wonderful gift that has come because of what you promised many years ago and we thank you for the way that you've transformed us you've helped us to understand the gospel and give our lives to jesus we pray that your spirit might be at work in our community going before us so that as we speak about the Lord Jesus with our neighbours and invite to different events and to Easter and to all the evangelism things coming up, that uh, you would go before us and prepare the way that lives will be transformed. Help us to be a church that are devoted to each other, devoted to your word, devoted to fellowship, to breaking bread and eating together, devoted to you in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray, for his glory. Amen.